You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. In the early 20th century, there were two secular holidays that kind of came on the radar for the American people. And those two secular holidays were Mother's Day and Father's Day. The idea was that it would be good to take some time to recognize the sacrifices and the efforts and the care shown by mothers and fathers through giving them one calendar day in the year where they could be celebrated. So in our broader culture, mothers get one calendar day out of the year where they receive flowers or chocolates or they're taken out for a nice meal. And fathers get one day per year where they receive a crazy tie or a funny t-shirt or some accessory for the grill. But for the rest of the year, many mothers and fathers feel overworked and underappreciated. Can I get a witness? Uh-huh. To put it another way, many mothers and fathers, for the majority of the year, do not receive the honor that they are due. But before there was ever a Mother's Day or a Father's Day, the Lord called his people to honor fathers and mothers every day. Whether you're a young child or an old child, whether your parents are awesome, absent, or atrocious, one of the distinctives of God's design for his people is that we would be the kind of community that recognizes the spiritual, the social, and the missional significance of honoring fathers and mothers. The Lord teaches us that mothers deserve more than flowers. They deserve honor. And fathers deserve more than a crazy necktie. They deserve honor. And yet, this command may very well stir some different emotions in you, depending on your experience. For some of you, this command raises feelings of guilt because you're realizing that you've been kind of distant from your parents. You haven't been willing to pick up the phone or return the text. And so it makes you feel guilty because of your disengagement. For some of you, this command raises feelings of anger because you look at your parents and you are convinced that they don't deserve any honor whatsoever because of how they've been. And still, for others of you, when you hear this commandment, you feel stressed because it's complicated. And you're not exactly sure how to work out this call to honor father and mother. Nevertheless, the Lord has established this commandment as a critical aspect of what it looks like to live under his rule of love. And if we would live the life of love, then we must understand and obey the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. And we're going to talk about this commandment today, and we're going to approach it through two points. 
We're going to talk about the principle and the practice of honoring our father and our mother. The principle and the practice of honoring our father and mother. Kids, are you out there today? Kids, I want you to turn your listening ears on. And also, big kids, I want you to turn your listening ear on because I have the feeling that some of you are like, this is exactly the message that I want my children to hear today. (laughs) But I want you to know that God wants you, children, to hear his word. Don't try to duck it. That's one of the worst ways to listen to sermons. Mm, I know someone who really needs to hear this message. Now you need to hear it too. And so we're going to get into this today. And I want you to think of it. This sermon, my aim in this sermon is that it would feel like a very pastoral sermon. That it would feel helpful and clear. And that you would feel empowered. And that you would be able to connect the dots on why this command is important. So let's look at our first point. The principle of honoring our father and mother. Now, when it comes to where we're at in our series, when we come to the fifth commandment, there's a shift that takes place in the emphases of the text. What we're doing is we're moving, when we come to the fifth commandment, we're moving from the first table of the law to the second table of the law. And if you're not familiar with the Ten Commandments, the first table of the law involves the first four commandments. And they are directed toward our responsibilities to God specifically. And when we come to the second table of the law, they are specifically focused on our responsibilities toward our neighbors. And it's in that way that we come to make sense of Jesus' summary of the law when he's asked. He says the law is all about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And loving your neighbor as yourself. So we've already covered the first table of the law. The first four commandments. The center of our love for God is taking place in the first table. Centering our love for God. And now the law is going to center our love for neighbor. And in the first table of the law, we have learned who we are to worship how we are to worship, how we are to bear the Lord's name, and how to live into his rhythm of life through Sabbath. And just for the record, Pastor Joel is wrong that the fourth commandment is the hardest one. He's tripping, all right? I went back and listened. I'll have no slander in this pulpit. (laughs) The fifth commandment is mad hard, y'all. All right. The first table of the law gives us that reference as it relates to our vertical responsibilities. And now... We're going to move into the emphasis on neighbor love. And I want you to know and remember that there is continuity between the two tables of the law, which is to say our love for God is deeply connected to our love for neighbor. And you could actually say that our love for God is supposed to issue in love for neighbor. And you get these statements in the Bible, for example, like the Apostle John who says, How can someone say they love God if they don't love their neighbor? And so even in John and the rest of Scripture, we see that there's an intimate connection. One verifies the other. That's the relationship. A continuity exists between true love for God and true love for neighbor. But here's a question. 
if in the second table of the law, we're experiencing a shift in perspective to focus on neighbor love, then why does the first commandment regarding love of neighbor begin with honoring father and mother? Why? The logic of the structure here is that parents, whether biological or adoptive, whether good or bad, are our first and nearest neighbors. Our parents are our first and nearest neighbors. And the patterns that are established in the home with our first and nearest neighbors continue to exert an inescapable influence on how we'll deal with any other neighbors after that. In his book, How Children Raise Parents, Dan Allender suggests that there are two deep questions lurking in the heart of every child. Am I loved? And can I get my own way? <laughs> Am I loved? And can I get my own way? And he says that the role of parents is to answer those two questions for their children. That's the role of parents. And the role of children is to honor their father and their mother. And when that dynamic is lived out in that way, something very beautiful develops from there. Now, I could have chosen any number of complimentary texts for you this morning. There is there's a lot there are a lot of options when it comes to passages that address mother, father, children dynamics. We could have gone to Ephesians 6. We could have there are lots of passages, but I wanted to choose Mark 7 this morning in the complimentary gospel passage is Matthew chapter 15. I wanted to choose this today because I think it is particularly contextual for this community. And if you turn to Mark 7, if you look at this text, the Pharisees have come to Jesus and his disciples and they have asked Jesus a question. Why do your disciples not obey the traditions of the fathers, the traditions of the rabbis? And they're specifically talking about the tradition of ritual purity. Washing your hands. Not a bad idea, right? Wash your hands, right? <laughs> the Pharisees are like, I don't know why everybody's tripping. In about 2,000 years, everybody's going to know that this is the way you're supposed to get down after you come from the market, right? The problem wasn't with the hand washing. The problem was with how the tradition was elevated to the place of authoritative law. And the way that the Pharisees were using it to uh, pressure the people. Okay? Now, what Jesus does, as he, so often, <laughs> as he so often does, Jesus answers the question with another question. He says, why do you set aside the commandments of God? And then what he specifically does from there as he specifically makes reference to the fifth commandment. And he says, the Pharisees are hype about protecting their traditions, but in the process of protecting their traditions, they were actually willing to undermine the commandments of God. And then he specifically identifies the fifth commandment as a commandment that they were breaking and encouraging other people to break. He gives the example of the treatment of parents. Look at verses 
10 through 13 of Mark 7. Jesus continues in his engagement by saying this. This is how he responds to the Pharisees. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. Which he's pulling on the Old Testament text. And the consequences of breaking the law by pulling out what the, the consequences were. The death penalty. It was serious. God wasn't playing. He continues, but you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that the Pharisees are giving people religious cover a religious excuse to avoid God's command to honor father and mother because they had this tradition, this tradition in which you could say Corbin about your possessions or your money, which was to say it's dedicated to the Lord. And by saying that it was dedicated to the Lord, you were relieved from the obligation of giving that money for the care of your parents. They actually never let go of the resources, and they kept them from their parents. It was a religious way of shielding their income from the tax burden. Now, something important that I want to raise, this is crucial for you to understand. A lot of times when we go into the Gospels and we start thinking and hearing about the Pharisees and the the religious leadership that Jesus was having battles with, we tend to flatten it down and apply it to all the Jewish people. The Jewish people were not a uniformity, and there were many schools of thought. There were actually a number of rabbis at the time who agreed with Jesus, a number of rabbis who actually agreed with what Jesus is saying right here. So Jesus isn't taking aim at all the Jewish people. He is engaging a particular subset of teachers within Pharisaism who were suggesting that it was cool to declare Corbin over your resources and become exempt from honoring father and mother, caring for them. Do you understand the nuance there? Don't flatten it down. There are contours here, and it's important that we recognize them. It's not a universal perspective of the Jewish people at this time. You had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes. There were all kinds of political and religious uh, sects of the Jewish people. So keep that in mind. Jesus is engaging a particular community of teachers. And at a very basic level, I want you to see that Jesus strongly affirms the continuing importance of the law, and he issues a stern warning against any excuses we might make to justify ignoring or downplaying this command. Here's the principle. We are to honor our parents because the Lord tells us to. If it's important to God, it should be important to God's people. Not only this, but there is a promise that is attached to obedience in this command. Honor your father and your mother that you may, what's it say? Live long in the land I'm I'm given to you. Now, this isn't like a, a quid pro quo. What Jesus is saying is that this is just part of the wisdom of my my patterns of life. We all understand that children 
who try to yank their hand away from their parents when walking down the street are less likely to have longevity <laughs> than children who hold their parents' hand and listen to them. It's, it's a practicality, but it's also a promise. The principle is that this is the Lord's design for how we learn to respect authority of any kind. Here's the idea, and we all know it because we've seen children who do not know how to respond to authority. And they are, they're not, they don't recognize it in anyone. I'll never forget when I used to mentor kids in schools back in Dallas. We would go into the schools, and it was a new experience for me to have a child cuss me out. That was new. <laughs> I'm editing all the jokes right now. What I'm trying to do is make a point. They never had any obligation to respond to authority in their lives, so they didn't recognize it anywhere. And so God's design for this command is that children would learn to respect authority and that as they grew older, they could recognize the importance of respecting authority for social flourishing rather than complete anarchy. If there's any way that children will come to understand and submit to God's authority... It will come in first recognizing their father and their mother's authority in their lives. Because you know that's the analogy of parenting, right? The analogy of parenting is that you are supposed to be a lens through which your children can come to understand who God is as father. That's the design and the way that you care and the way that you support and the way that you humble yourself in the way that you look out for their well-being, in the way that you discipline and correct them. You are supposed to be a signpost so that they're like, oh, this makes sense. Oh, I get something of who he is now. That makes sense to my mind. But here's the question. How does this principle actually work? That brings us to our second point, the practice of honoring father and mother. Now, you have the principle in place, and you have some of the threads related to why this command is important, what God is doing in the design of this command, its place and the whole of the Decalogue, his, its place in the rule of love. But what does it even mean to honor our parents? What's it mean? Let's start with what it doesn't mean, Okay. It doesn't necessarily mean feeling affection because some parents have been so cruel that it's impossible to feel affection towards them. It doesn't always mean trusting because some parents aren't trustworthy. You might be able to look at your parents' relationships, for example, and know that you shouldn't take relationship advice from them. It doesn't always even mean obedience. Let me be clear. There is a qualifier in the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 6 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Which is to say that if your parents ask you to do something that's contrary to the word of God, your answer is no. However, for young kids, the, your responsibility is to obey right away all the way with a happy heart. Kids, 
your responsibility as it relates to honoring your father and your mother is to obey right away, all the way, with a happy heart. Let me hear you kids say, right away, all the way, with a happy heart. If you do, it will go well for you, and it will go well for your parents. All right. I just had to put that cover in there, y'all. Now, here's the thing. What, this is what it doesn't mean, all right? But what does it actually mean to honor your father and your mother? It means to honor the significance and the weight of their God-given role. To honor the significance and the weight of their God-given role. To recognize the dignity of their role even when they live beneath the dignity of that role. The word for honor here is the word kaboth, which is the word translated glory, weightiness. In the ancient Near East, it is often framed when it comes to recognizing someone's stature or importance or dignity. In the ancient Near East, it was often calculated in terms of heaviness, to recognize the heaviness, the weightiness of a person. To say that the Lord is glorious is to say that he tips the scales. He's very significant. He's no feather on the scales. To honor your father and your mother is to recognize their weight, the weight of their role, and the dignity of their role even when they live beneath that dignity. For example, this is just an example. We recognize, generally speaking, as American citizens, that the office of president is an important office to respect. Do we not? We recognize that the office of president is an important office to respect, even when particular politicians live beneath the dignity of that office. We still respect the office, even if it's challenging to respect a particular politician because of choices that they've made or behaviors that they have done. It's a similar thing with honoring father and mother. And for the rest of our time here, what I would love to get into is some of the practical ways that we honor our father and our mother. How we can walk in obedience to the fifth commandment. And the first thing I want to say, as it relates to honoring your father and your mother, is to let them in. Invite your parents in. This is to say that it's going to take some of your time. Answer the phone. Return the text. Look for common ground where you can connect with your parents to build bridges. Impress upon them that you recognize the significance that your parents hold, regardless of how well they have fulfilled that role. This can, of course, involve establishing appropriate boundaries, given the specifics of your situation. But generally speaking, we can honor our parents by opening our lives to them. Or in scenarios where there has been too much damage done, opening your heart to the possibility of redemption. You might not 
be able to open the entirety of your life to them at this point. But the Lord would call you to open your heart to the possibility of redemption and reconciliation. To hold out that hope because he's able. Next, recognize the good that you received from growing up with your parents and express gratitude to them. What are some of the things that you like in yourself that you know you got from your parents? Acknowledge these things. Mom, I just want to tell you, you, you really taught me how to serve other people. Dad, hey, I man, you know, I've never actually said it, but I just want to let you know that I really appreciate how I learned how to have a good work ethic from you. You know, uh, Mom, I've come to appreciate the effort that you put into caring for me. Dad, I experienced lots of good things because of your efforts to provide for our family. And I, I appreciate that. Acknowledge the good things that you've received and express gratitude. Next, I want you to remember that your parents are people. Remember that your parents are people. They need grace and truth just like you do. They need room to grow and change just like you do. And this calls for compassion. Because many of our parents had parents who were far worse to them than your parents were to you. And they did the best they could with what they had. And they could only see what they could see. And so the only way they knew how to parent you was trying to improve upon the bad experience that they had. And not only this, but many of them are painfully aware of the many ways that they failed as parents. Many of them would love to get a do-over, to do it better, to do better by you. They wish that they could reel that thing back in. They feel guilty and insecure. You honor them when you have compassion on their failings. It also calls for patience. Recognize the challenge that your parents face. This is for the big kids, okay? Recognize the challenges that your parents face. They watched you go number two on yourself. <laughs> they knew you when you couldn't even spell your own name or feed yourself. And now they're watching you make these huge life decisions and you're moving to different cities and you're choosing careers and choosing spouses and they so want the best for you that it's terrifying that they're not in control of the outcomes. And some of them don't know what to do with that. They try to do their best, but sometimes they might overstep. They might come across manipulative or controlling, but really... They just need your patience to try and figure out what it looks like to relate to you. Because things have changed so dramatically. They need your compassion. Recognize their humanity and remember that they need as much grace as you do. The next thing I want to say is don't make too much of their failures. Don't make too much of your parents' failures. Because it's possible... To make too much of your parents' failures such that you treat them as if they're the source of everything that's wrong with you. It's true that they have failed you. 
in different ways. It's true that they have sinned against you in many ways. But it's also true that sinful people respond sinfully to being sinned against. Your difficulty trusting other people and your deep fear that keeps leading you to push others away isn't present just because your dad left you or your parents failed you. It's also the way you've chosen to respond to the pain and to protect yourself and to avoid the frightening position of putting your life in Jesus' hands as you open up your heart to other people in vulnerability. It's also a choice that you've made. Your chronic need to please others isn't just because you never were able to meet the expectations of your mom. It's also a way you've chosen to get your sense of worth and value apart from Jesus. Yes, our parents play a significant role in shaping us, but they simply are not the cause of all that is wrong with you. Don't make too much of their failures, but also don't make too little of your parents' failures, but be open to forgiveness, okay? It's possible to make too little of your parents' failures, not being honest about the ways in which they have influenced you, not being truthful about your anger or your hurt. We love to ignore issues, don't we? Until the last minute when everything explodes and it's nuclear. But you must recognize the weight of your parents' role and how it has affected you. And the end goal is not identifying who deserves the blame. The end goal is reconciliation and health and flourishing in those relationships. We have to be honest about the failures of our parents and the things that need to be forgiven because you can't forgive other people unless you're clear about what needs to be forgiven. To forgive someone means to no longer hold their sins against them. You set aside the pursuit of punishment and you open up to reconciliation. Because here's the deal. Children know the sins of their parents better than anybody else. No one has sinned against you more than your parents. You see their sin more clearly, which means they need forgiveness from you more than almost anybody else in your life. And on the flip side, you haven't sinned against any human being more than you've sinned against your parents. We honor our parents when we stop holding their sin against them and we move toward forgiveness as the Lord gives us grace. Again, depending on the nature of the sins committed. I am not suggesting that there is no process or appropriate boundary marking in certain situations that have gone too far. But what I'm saying is that for many of us, it's the imperfections of our parents. It's the various ways in which they've dropped the ball and disappointed us and hurt us. And what I'm, what I'm saying to you is there's an opportunity for us to not hold their sins and their failures against them. Why can we do this? Because the one who knows everything about all of our sins in public, in private, in our minds, in our hearts, 
in our words and actions, in our motivations, the one who knows it all about your sins doesn't hold your sins against you. That's where you get the resources. He says that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he separated you from your sins. He says that he has thrown your sins into the sea of forgetfulness, that he has blotted out your transgressions, that he has made you whiter than snow. Those are the resources from which you begin to move toward your parents in forgiveness. So maybe it's time to let it go. Maybe it's time to make that call and have that conversation. Or maybe it's time to write that letter that is the beginning of a renewed relationship with your parents. The next thing I want to say is pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for their spiritual vitality. Pray for their physical health. Pray for their relationships. Because it's often the case that we complain about our parents without offering the very prayers by which they could become different. And that's on us. That's on us. Anytime you are willing to offer criticism and critique without prayer, there's something wrong with your heart and your vision. So pray for them. And they might actually become different. There might actually be healing in the relationship, restoration, an even, an even closer bond than what you have now. Next, encourage them. Encourage them. And by the way, this is not just for your own biological parents. If you have in-laws, this is for them too. <laughs> Somebody like, oh, you, oh, okay. You had to go there today. Okay. I realize it's not always ideal, and it's hardly ever easy. But they're parents. Your parents in love, okay? <laughs> Encourage them, because here's the deal. Aging is really hard, and it's often discouraging. When your body is breaking down, and your mind isn't as sharp, when you feel like your best days are behind you and that you're just in everyone's way, it's really, really lonely and disorienting and scary. And so many of our parents are going through that, even though they may never let on. Because they don't want to be a burden to you. But they're going through that kind of stuff. And these are the times when a kind word of encouragement can uphold your parents. Reminding them that the promises and the purposes of God in their life are still true. The Lord's design is that we would have that kind of presence in our parents' lives. You can encourage them in their walk with the Lord if they are Christians. You can encourage them to share their wisdom with others and to redeem the time and to live in community. If they're not Christians... You have a wonderful opportunity to honor them in a way that leads to witness. To ask the kinds of questions that might help your parents to come to know the saving love of God in Jesus. And I want to say that for those of you who no longer have your parents with you, for those of you who have lost a parent, and you're still wrangling with the, the heartache of that. 
You're wondering how to work out honoring your father and your mother. One of the ways that you can do that work when your parents are no longer here is to honor their memory, to remember and celebrate the good and the beautiful things that they brought into your life, to not hold their sins against them, to speak well of them as best as you can while remaining truthful and honest. It doesn't mean that there's no way for you to work this out, but a lot of the work that you have to do is some internal work as it relates to honoring your parents when they are no longer here. But here's the big question for all of us. How in the world are you supposed to do this with your particular parents? Some of you might be sitting out there saying, look, I hear you, but you don't know my parents. Especially the Whitfield kids are saying this right now. (laughs) How am I supposed to do this with my particular parents? How can you honor these parents when they have been a source of so much pain and heartache in many cases? You have to stop looking to them to answer the deep questions. Am I loved? And can I get my own way? You have to start looking to the one whom the psalmist describes as a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows. Stop looking to your parents. When you're young, your parents are supposed to bring you up to look to the one who ultimately answers those questions for you. But oftentimes we don't stop looking to our earthly parents and so we're never able to really honor them rightly. If your parents did a great job, if they are your life heroes and you really hope that you wind up like them, be thankful, but also careful. The temptation is to put your parents in God's place, to live your life seeking to please them and to live out their dreams and desires. The temptation is that you will develop with them a codependency that undermines maturity. Okay? that you will run to your mom and dad rather than to the Lord. There's a fine line between honoring your parents and idolizing them. But if your parents did a poor job, if you are angry with them and you have vowed you will never be like them, I want you to hear me. I'm sorry. That's really, really hard. It's really soul-crushing in so many ways. I'm sorry. And yet you also need to be careful. Your temptation is to be bound by your anger and frustration because you can't please them or let go of the desire to see them pay for their wrongs. In both scenarios, you can't really honor your parents because you're still looking at them. That bitterness. It's been said that Living that life of bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. I think it was Gandhi or someone who said that. But the idea is that that bitterness is not helping you. It's not productive. It's destructive. And so the real process of that, the soul dynamic there, is to try and get yourself to a place where you are no longer bound by the anger and frustration. You can be honest about what has happened 
but you are like a gold miner able to pick out the flecks of brilliance in what is largely a bunch of dirt. You see what I'm saying? So what do you do? Stop looking to your parents. Start looking to your father. Whether your parents are great or rotten, you'll only be able to honor them as you start looking to the one that they were supposed to point you towards. He is the father who is never too busy or distracted to receive you with joy. He's the father who always knows and understands the deep places of your heart and your longings and your desires. He knows you. He's the father who doesn't fail you nor give up on you when you fail him. He is the motherly caregiver who never forgets, abandons, nor leaves you. In the gospel, he answers the question of your heart, am I loved? He says, yes. Before the foundation of the world, I predestined you to adoption. He gave his only son to make you a child of God. The good news emphatically and definitively answers this question in the affirmative, setting you free. You can step out of the burden of pleasing your parents because your father in heaven looks at you through Jesus and says, in you, I am well pleased. In the gospel, he also answers the question of your heart, can I get my own way? His answer is, no, you can't. And praise God for that because your way leads to death and destruction and division. And your good father loves you so much that he continually rescues you from the darkness of your way to bring you into the light and the flourishing of his way. He is the father that keeps you your crazy self from running out in the street. The Father's love for you is what can empower you to honor your father and your mother. And at times, it is hard and painful and frightening to think about honoring your parents or what that might involve or what that might be getting you into or what you're signing up for. You might not be able to get off of this roller coaster ride. But the promise is that there is life for you in obedience to the fifth commandment. It's the one commandment with a promise attached. There is wholeness and healing as you receive the Father's love and seek to honor your father and your mother. If you are currently honoring your parents in ways that are costly, if you are bearing up under that weight right now, I want you to know that you do that work of love under the Father's smile. He is so pleased in you. He delights in the efforts that you're making, the, the tears you're crying, the money that you're dumping, the time that you're given to honor your father and mother. The Lord is so pleased with that because you're beautifully bearing his name. And you're setting a wonderful example to the people around you, especially your children, who may one day have to take care of you. Remember, how you Jesus says how you measure it out is how it's going to be measured back to you. Be careful. If you're a parent, I want you to hear me when I say this. Many parents 
are frustrated because their kids do not honor them. While at the same time, they don't live lives that are actually honorable. Help your children to live into the commandment by being an honorable parent. There is a dynamism there when parents actually live honorably. It makes it easier for children to actually honor their parents. And then there is a beauty to the rhythm of the back and forth, the parental love and care and discipline, and the childlike trust and honor and respect, reverence, and obedience. God's design is amazing. That's the way it's meant to be. We should fight for that. Help your children by actually living a life that's worthy of honor. Jesus honored his father, and he calls all who would follow him to do the same in relationship to their parents and to the father. Father's Day and Mother's Day are for Hallmark. The fifth commandment is for all God's people every day, all day. Amen. Let's pray. for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.